Thank you. Thank you. Hey, how's this guy? Poor Todd here will be here next weekend, Thursday, Sunday. I'm, I'm going to preach a little bit this morning and, and release some of what we walked in this weekend with, with Kevin while we, while we were away. But Paul is carrying something as well that, that he wants to bring this house. He doesn't, we don't get Paul in to just fill his schedule. His schedule can be filled enough. He comes because he wants to sow and build. He could come on Saturday. He could fly in Saturday morning and fly out Sunday afternoon. He's coming Wednesday morning and not flying out until Monday, I think, evening because he wants to be here to build with us. We have that whole time booked with planning and and discussions and and whiteboard times, which are going to be sensational. But he comes to help us build. So please be here. Make that a priority. He's going to impart something that's worth being. Is that okay? Everyone gets it. Paul's going to be here. All right. Bev's driving the bus. On your Bev. All right. The kids can go. Kids are going up with, with Uncle Mal. Woo! Malcolm. What a riot that's going to be. Sophia, I would have been scared too. I completely understand No, he's not. He's not. I agree, Edith. I agree. He's how many? Thirty-two. While we're going to do a quick clap, it was Edith's birthday yesterday. Woo! It was a very significant one. I won't tell you which significant one it was, but it was a It was a fortieth, eh? Fortieth. Woo! All right, so guys, what, I, what I'm feeling this morning, what I've, I've, we, we obviously have been away last weekend. We were in Adelaide uh, at Paul's Church um, with a guy named Kevin Zadai who comes from the States, has a phenomenal story, incredible, credible man of God. The most, can I say this, the most humble, God-fearing man I've ever met in my entire life. Just to sit with him was phenomenal. He, he just oozes the love of God wasn't about himself. He wasn't a proud, proud man by any stretch. At one point, he was preaching and the room started to erupt. God started to move. And he looked at Paul and he said, it's not, I don't want to be talking anymore. Mid-preach, he just put the microphone down. He went and laid down. He said, Paul, I'm in the way. I want to get out of the way. And I thought, Flip, we don't see that very often with people who have come from that far. But he carries something I haven't ever seen and I'm not trying to glorify him. I'm, I'm honoring him and what he's stepping into and who he is. But he said something during the course of the weekend. It was a very, he preached two and a half hour, two and a half to three hours every time. And he did that three days, three times a day. So he was preaching nine hours worth of, of preaching. And I've never sat on the edge of my chair listening intently to what this guy had to say. We did that for four days, three three-hour sessions a day. Phenomenal. Just I took notes like I could have written a book with the amount of notes I took. But he said something that challenged me. And when I was sitting in the congregation, I asked God to show me what it was. And that's what I'm going to preach on this morning. He said while he was preaching, he said, we have to live from a place of overthrow. And I was sitting there and I, think, I said to myself, I think he said that wrong. I think he meant overflow. Because we hear that in the, in the Christian context all the time. We have to live from a place of overflow. So he went on and he said it again and again and again. He said it about four times in this sermon and it punched me every time. I thought, he's saying it wrong. He's saying 
overthrow, but he should be saying overflow. Afterwards, one of the guys said to him, hey, do you mean overthrow? He said, yeah, that's what I mean. But he didn't go in to explain what it was. So I settled with the fact that he was saying overthrow. And I said, God, what does he mean by that? What, what is he saying? And he showed, God showed me a picture of a movie that I had seen. I was sitting in this thing just so I started mashing notes out because he was revealing what he meant by overthrow. Over, overthrow. In the Christian world, we say we have to go, for, we, we have to go from, from break to break. That we want to we come in, we want to we break the lines. I need, a, I need a break in the lines. I want to get through this thing. And, and the vision that I saw was that in... Oh, no. Riv, man. Shatter. Look at that. See, that's Mal. Two minutes in, one crier. I'm joking. Kids will be fine. They're in great hands. <laughs> the kids will be fine. Uh, so, so I saw I saw this movie where um, Troy. I don't know if anyone's seen it, but there's a the, it's a it's a story about a time in history where where Troy was a city that couldn't be penetrated. They owned this city, and the Greeks wanted to take the city. And it, it's where we get the famous Trojan horse from, because in the end, the Greeks had to trick the the, the Trojans to actually get into the city and to break in to their city. But the interesting thing that I saw was, was the, the Greeks land on the beach and they set up camp on the beach. But throughout the whole movie, the Greeks are always on the defensive. They're protecting themselves. Even when they go to attack, they don't know what the Trojans are going to do. They don't know how they're going to react. And there's lots of scenes. That, the interesting thing about the film was it cuts from the battleground where they're out on the sand fighting. And I don't know if you, you know anything about ancient battle strategies but they fight in lines and there's a line of defense that runs all the way through right back to their keep or their their castle which is the final line of defense but it's line after line after line after line and one of the things that we say in the christian um lingo is that i want breakthrough right i'm, I'm pushing for breakthrough i'm pushing for breakthrough and what god showed me in this in this picture was that when we push for breakthrough and we come through there's always another line of defense. There's always the next line and then the next line. So what tends to happen is out on the battleground, we live in this place of breakthrough to breakthrough, but we're always fighting this defensive-offensive battle. But in the film, there's this interesting juxtaposition where it goes from the battleground and then the Trojans retreat to the castle where they're sitting in comfort and they're able to strategize about how they're going to attack the Greeks the next time. Or how they're going to defend the castle the next time. How they're going to move into a place in a position where they can actually be on top and, and get the upper hand. And there's a scene where the Greeks storm, the, they get breakthrough after breakthrough after breakthrough. They finally get through a level of lines and then the Trojan archery opens up and they slaughter them all. And God was showing me this thing that as Christians, we're constantly looking for the next breakthrough through the next breakthrough, that we never actually get to settle in the castle and find peace and get to strategize about how we actually move on to the next thing. And instantly, Kevin's understanding of overthrow made so much sense. What he's saying is that as Christians, we have to fight through an area of our life and fight through until we overthrow the city and then we get to hold the defensive and offensive position. Does that make sense? Is anyone lost or confused? 
So what we're trying to actually do in this place is get to a place of overthrow so that we take the city and we get to hold control with God and have those moments of strategy and peace. But we can't become complacent in that place. Because what happened when the Trojans became complacent was that they were tricked by the Greeks and they overthrow the city. But the whole picture, the whole movie is a fight for who gets to control the city. As Christians, that's what we are operating in. That when we fight for breakthrough and breakthrough and breakthrough and breakthrough and breakthrough, we never actually get to rest in the goodness of God in the area of our life in that position. So let's use finances, for example. We get our finances. We go, God, I need $1,000 for this bill that's coming. I need breakthrough. I need breakthrough in this. And we break through and the $1,000 comes. We pay the bill and we sit pretty for about a week until we overspend next time and the next bill comes in. And guess where we go? Back to the prayer about breakthrough. God, I need breakthrough. I need more finances. I need to get through this next thing. I need to get through this next thing. And then it comes and we go through and we go, oh, I can breathe a little bit. But we never actually get to a place of strategy where we can hold the house, defend, but then go, okay, God, how do I get to the next level or the next level? I think it was Andy Walms. I'm about to quote Andrew Walmack. Josh is excited. You ready? I think it was him that said, we, we, we cannot live from miracle to miracle to miracle to miracle. That's not where God has us. God called the Israelites through the, through the desert on miracles to enter the promised land that was filled with milk and honey. So we're going through the miracle into the promised land where there's milk and honey. That's overthrow. Now we own the city. Now we defend and we can offend as well. But we are offend, we're attacking from a place of defense and holding the line. So what does that look like then? That's where I think I'm going to, I'm going to read a scripture in a minute, which blew my mind. And, and that's why I want to go back into, into prayer and, and, and worship. And because we actually get to a place where we stop trying to rub the magical lamp and get God to give us the things that we need. And we say, God, okay, God, what do you want me to have so that I can go and take more ground for you? The English Empire, when they were going out and they were taking, they would take city, hold that city, build that city up and take the next city. Hold that city, build the city up, take the next city. And they made an empire that the sun never set on because they understood the, the, the position to hold the ground, build something and then go after something bigger. This guy that we were, we were listening to preach is a multimillionaire and he didn't earn a cent of it from the church, from ministry, not a cent. But he understood, he said something that, that challenged me in the biggest way. He said, God told me to do this, which means I cannot fail. God told me, to, he just recently started a school. He didn't want to, God told him to start a school. Two months, five and a half thousand students enrolled. Two months. I said, how do, you, how do you do that? He said this. He said, you can't copy what I did because God asked me to do it. He asked me to do that. So he said, I can't fail. He said, but as I walk along, as I step into more and more and more of God, people don't want me to be there. So the, the, the defense gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. And some of the stories he had would make most of us not ever want to step outside our house. But because he said, God asked me to do something, I can't fail. 
It's going, to be, it's going to hurt while I walk the journey. It's going to be challenging and difficult, but I can't fail. It's like saying you're going to play this game, you're going to win. We instantly want to get involved. We instantly want to win. Before I move, before I move into to the scripture I'm going to preach out this morning, we, we did a study in Ephesians, right? So we all know that, that the world that we are in, the world that we're fighting in, is not a battle between flesh and blood. It's a spiritual war. We all get that, eh? Yeah. Good, because we did so long in Ephesians. I'm, I'm excited. So if it's a spiritual battle, that means that it's a spiritual overthrow that we need to have. It's a spiritual overthrow. If we're fighting for overthrow to take a city, it's a spiritual battle. So then we need to be strong in understanding our spirit, man, and understanding how to step into that and operate from that place. The two areas I believe that we do that in are prayer and worship. When we enter into a place of fully giving ourselves to Him and praying in the Spirit and worshiping in the Spirit and in the truth of Him, it's the overthrow that we start to take. But I want to also say this. When, when in a, I'm using a lot of battle analogies this morning because... <laughs> You didn't know we're in a war. This is a spiritual war that we're in. And I believe it's going to increase. The, the enemy's pushing to take more and more ground. As Christians, we've got to get ready and understand this, to hold our ground, but then push back and take more and more ground for the kingdom. But in, in war, a sharpshooter or a sniper, when they have position, they're hidden. Nobody knows they're there. Nobody knows that they are going to make the shot. But the very moment that they make that first shot and that rifle goes off, the rest of the people who are around them know where they are. So they won't make a shot unless they know they're going to make it. Otherwise, as soon as they pull that trigger, everyone else knows where they are. So think about this. We understand the, the spiritual dimension of Christianity as light and darkness. What happens when you turn the light on in the darkness? Guess what? All the darkness knows where the light is. What happens when you turn it up and up and up and up? The darkness knows where the light is. As Christians, we step into that place where we become that sharpshooter and we say, God, I'm going to fight for you. Here I am. I'm giving myself to you. It's all for you. We sung that just now. God, it's all for you. Everything's for you. And then all of a sudden, everything else in our life comes up. Everything else gets in the way. Everything else stops us from getting that direction. Do you think that the, that the enemy who comes to steal, kill and destroy is going to let you just get to that place you want to go? See, we say to God, God, I'm coming for you. Everything's for you. I'm giving myself over. And then we hope it's just going to be a nice walk, stroll in the park. Paul doesn't write that in any of the New Testament. Galatians, Ephesians, it's all about the fact that when we step into that battlefield, when we put on that armor, why do you think he uses the example of wearing armor? Because it's a battle. It's a war. It's a spiritual war. But what happens is in the culture that we've created is that in, in, in the contemporary church, we say, yeah, but I haven't been given stuff. Where's my stuff? How come I can't swing a sword like he can swing a sword? Because he spent hours in practice. He spent hours 
working out how the sword feels, swinging it around, working the weight of it, watching how to sharpen it. Hours on the blocks. He's got bruises and cuts all over him. That's why he operates the way that he does. When I sit with a man like Kevin, I think to myself, man, God, how can he operate like that? How does he move and understand and hear your voice like that? And then I hear that he wakes up at 3.30 in the morning to pray until 6 every morning. And I go, that'll do. That makes a bit of sense. It's like walking into the gym for your first time and looking at that always one real buff guy in the gym when you go, always like lifting the dusty weights. And you're like, I want to lift the dusty weights. But I've got to start back with these two kilos and I feel like, a, like an idiot. And then I go, I'm just not going to go. Guys, it sounds ridiculous, but that's what we do as Christians. That's what we do. I can't prophesy like him, so I don't want to prophesy anymore. I can't preach like that guy, so I'm not going to preach anymore. I can't do what he's doing, so I'm not going to do that anymore. Yet we don't see the hours and the time that guy put in before the Lord saying, God, show me who you are. Show me what it is you're doing. I can't worship like Coco worships, yet we don't see the time and the hours put in before the Lord worshiping, glorifying his name. And then when she comes in here, it's just oozing out of her what she's already done. So we get ourselves to a position where we go, God, I want the spiritual overthrow, but I don't want the time to learn how to do it. I want that quick society where we get everything we want straight away. I promise if you get something quick and easy, it's never any good. What you want is that long... You know when you get like a table that's been made and it's been handcrafted and it's always like ridiculously heavy and beautiful and intricate, then you get like an Ikea table and it's just been zipped together and you're like, well, no wonder. The hours carving this thing, the love that goes into it, builds a solid, sturdy table. That's who we have to be as Christians. And it starts right here on our knees before God saying, God, I worship you. I'll give you everything. And you are worthy, God, but not just here. We've got, to, we've got to carry that into who we are, carry that into the goodness. And you watch the spiritual overthrow. But I promise, the more we press in, the harder it gets, the harder and the easier it gets. The easier it is to be with him, but the more stuff comes up in our life. You know my heart. You know my heart that I... I I don't want people coming in here so that the church gets filled so that we can feel good about ourselves. But what tends to happen is that God will put something in your way and you'll miss a Sunday. Then he'll put something in your way again, you'll miss another one. He'll put something in your way and then you'll go, but now you're disheartened because no one's really reached out to me in the last two weeks that I met. He's divisive and he's stealing something from you. That's the bottom line. He's stealing something from you. Kevin told this story where before he was going to minister at church, he was praying and he saw, he saw a vision where he saw a line, an empty church line. And in it, he watched a family fill that line. She had five or six kids, I think. Just one lady, six kids come and sat with her. And she saw a vision of this lady that would change her life, a, a, a forward picture to paint, breakthrough and overthrow in her life. He, he's excited to preach. The church leader pulls up. He gets to the pulpit. He's pumped to give this lady the word. He looks out over the congregation. That line was empty. 
He preaches, does what, he, what God tells him to do. Afterwards, he, he goes to the church leader grieved. He says, there's a family that was normally sitting there. He said, yeah, she's never missed a Sunday. So he said, can you ring her? I have a vision for her. God showed me something. Rings this lady. It turns out that her brother, who's not a Christian, invited them to a, a way for the weekend. And while she was there, she, she felt God tell her to come back to be at the Sunday service. It was something important. But her brother invited her to a baseball game. And she thought, well, I'll just go to the baseball game. And she missed it. Kevin still gave her the word that he got. But her life dwindled and she lost something that God she lost divine appointment does that mean you have to be here every Sunday or God's not going to speak to you no but there was a divine appointment set up that she knew God had something for her and she tossed it away for me I go God I don't want to miss that if you're speaking to me I'm going to be there I hope to higher heavens that I'm there but what happens is the enemy knew that she was going to receive something that would change her life and she was going to take incredible ground for the kingdom. So he put something in the way. He put something in the way. He put something in the way every time. God is a strategist. He has strategy for your life. The enemy also is a strategist. Not the same as God, but he has a strategy. In, in John it says, to steal, kill and destroy what God has for you. But we as people have to discern what that is. I know that this is a little heavy, but I, I'm going to lighten it up in a minute. But I need us to understand the importance of this thing is that this is not day in, day out. Let's just get to the end of our life and we'll go to heaven. There's something for us to do here. And this is how we do it. We understand the difference between deceit, lies, and a life that's trying to destroy you and a calling into something much bigger that God has for you. Does that make sense? If you've got a Bible, go with me to 2 Corinthians 3 verse 1. Two Corinthians verse three, starting in one, three, uh, three verse one. Sorry, two, two Corinthians three, starting in one. Rather, are we beginning to commend ourselves again, or do we need, as some do, letters of recommendation to you or from you? Paul talking to the Corinthian church. You yourselves are our letter of recommendation, written on our hearts to be known and read by all. And you show that you are a letter from Christ delivered by us, written not with ink, but with the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of human hearts. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now, if the ministry of death, carved in letters of stone, came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze on not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, 
Will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? For if there was glory in the ministry of condemnation, the ministry of righteousness must far exceed in glory. I'm going to read that again because it's incredibly powerful. Now, if the ministry of death carved in letters on stone came with such glory that the Israelites could not gaze at Moses' face because of its glory, which was being brought to an end, will not the ministry of the Spirit have even more glory? We look at that story when Moses stood on the mountain and he said to God, I want to see you. And God said, you can't, even, you can't see me else you'll die. Hide between the rock and I'll give you a glimpse. And his face glows with glory. But it was a fading glory. Why? Because he couldn't stay in the presence. He was going to leave the presence. So he covers his face for two reasons. So that the Israelites wouldn't be afraid of what he looked like, but also so that the glory wouldn't fade so fast. You see, the old covenant allowed us to come into the glory, but we had to leave the glory. We had to come in and we had to leave. But the new covenant allows us to stay in the glory and power of God. We actually are seated inside he that Moses couldn't gaze upon. Father, make them one as we are one. As Christians seated inside Christ. Is anyone's mind blown by that? That that glory we saw on the mountain that Moses, where we look and we go, Flip, I wish I could have been there. You have better than what Moses had then. We have bigger and better understanding of the glory of God than Moses had on the mountain when he peered through the rock and his face shone. So why can't we see it? Why can't we see it? I want to propose because we're not hungry enough. Moses didn't care that he was going to die. He was so overjoyed by the love of the Father that he says, just let me see your face, God. Please, just let me see your face. I don't care what it looks like. I don't care what's going to happen to me. And God says, because of your hunger, I'll allow you to see some. A glimpse. Little did you know that we as a people were going to get to step into the wholeness of who God is, into the fullness of Christ, buried in Him. Indeed, in this case, from verse 10, what once had glory has come to have no glory at all because of the glory that surpasses it. For if what was being brought to an end came with glory, much more will what is permanent have glory. Since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, would, um, who would put a veil over his face so that the Israelites might not gaze on the outcome of what was being brought to an end. But their minds were hardened. For this day, when they read the old covenant, the same veil remains, unlifted, because only through Christ is it taken, is the Lord, uh, sorry, in Christ is taken away. Yes, to this day, whenever Moses read, a veil lies over their hearts. But when one turns to the Lord, the veil is removed. Now the Lord is spirit, and where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face, behold the glory of the Lord and being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is in spirit, from one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to another. From one degree of glory to to another, increase, increase, increase in the glory of God. Let me put something to you that's going to offend you, but it's okay because it just says it there, so I, I'm allowed to. 
where there is not freedom, the Spirit of the Lord is missing. Where there is no freedom, the Spirit of the Lord is missing. Yeah, but God, but Ben, I was saved and the Spirit's in me. Yes, but you're not allowing the Spirit to operate in that area of your life. So there's no freedom. Yeah, but Ben, but Ben, it says that I was saved and I was made one. Yes, your Spirit made whole, saved, locked away in Christ, but you're not allowing that Spirit to operate. You're allowing the flesh, your mind, will, and emotions, your soul to actually control that area of your life. That's why there's no freedom. That's why you don't have any freedom. That's why we check our bank accounts, worried at whether or not there's going to be money in there because we haven't actually allowed the Spirit of God to overtake our understanding of that area and step into freedom because we haven't allowed God in there. If this says where the Spirit of the Lord is there is freedom, it means that freedom operates with the Spirit of the Lord. Where the Spirit is, there has to be but freedom. That's why when a, a Christian like, like um, Dave can walk in and someone sees him and goes, man, I don't know why, but I just feel so free with you. Because the Spirit of the Lord is operating through their body and there's freedom that's just oozing out over the place. But if we can look and say, that must mean that where there is no freedom, the Spirit of God does not have reign. So what do I do? I drop to my knees and I pray and say, God, take this place from me. Take this thing from me. I give it to you. Help me see your way. Help me understand who you are. Help me see what it is you have. But the thing is, is that we must begin to step into more and more glory, deeper and deeper revelation, more and more fullness of him. I say this to encourage us not to condemn us, that we are starting to see something here in this house and I don't just say this because I wouldn't say it if I, if I didn't think it, but we are starting to see a level of glory that a lot of other houses aren't seeing. That's not, that's not a, we're better than them by any means. Because there's so much stuff we, I wish we, would, we could do better in, in myself. But what I'm saying is that God is moving among a people. That's not, that's not something Jess and I have done. That's because as a people, we're hungry. We're kneeling behind that rock saying, God, I want to see you. I want to see you. And God's saying, here, I'll give you more. But come with me and I'll give you more. Come with me and I'll give you more. You see, this verse says from glory to glory to glory. That when I look at someone like Kevin and I say, man, how does he sit in that level of glory all the time? Because he's, worked, he's walked the journey with God. He's not okay with the little he's being given. He wants more. Then he wants more. Then he wants more. That's phenomenal. That's powerful. And I want to tell you, it starts as a people when we become hungry to pray, when we become hungry to worship, when we come to the house and we're not, oh, i got to go because it's Sunday morning church. I've got to drag myself. No, I want to be there. Why? Because I want to worship with my family. And then in the morning, I want to get up and pray because I want to pray to my God. I want to worship my God. I want to be there with you. That's from glory to glory to glory. And God gives us more as we seek more. I want to I just go one more place and then we're going to go and worship. Um, I'm going to skip some stuff. I'll, I'll preach later. And I, I have a verse here. I think it's Luke. The pool of Bethesda. Where, what, what, where's that in? Edie? 
I've got the verse here, but I didn't write down where it is. I'll get it to you. I can't quite remember. I didn't put it down. But I want to finish with this before we go into worship because I want us to understand something. Insert verse here. Verse 1. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the sheep gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonies. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered, Sir, I have no one to put me in the pool where the water is stirred. And while I'm going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take your bed and walk. And at once the man was healed and he took his bed and he walked. We have this John 5. John 5. We have this rife in the church today. This very scene. We wait for a particular something to be happening before we believe God will move. We wait for a particular something before God will move. We say, Jesus, I can't step into what you have for me because the lights weren't dimmed enough. The guy didn't say enough things. There wasn't enough smoke. I wasn't with the right prophetic guy, the right this or the right that. That's this story. Jesus called that something. Religion. I covered the communion this morning because I didn't want River to eat it while I wasn't looking. (laughs) This doesn't need to be covered. I've told that story here before. We create religious events in order to see God move. You do not have to pay a particular tithe to see God break in here. We're going to worship in a minute, but I want us to understand something. The Bible says when two or more of us are gathered in his name, we sung a song before we started this morning. It's all for you, God. We're gathering in your name. You're the one we're here for. How many of us, is there more than two people here? What does that mean? Jesus is already here. So Sean and Coco, you guys can, when you're ready, can start to worship. They don't have to worship something particular or special. The song doesn't have to be a particular key or a particular song or something. When we gather in his name, he's already here. The water is already stirred and it doesn't need to be stirred. Everything that Jesus did, that's why we're going to take communion in a minute. Because this symbol, it's a symbol. This is not really... Jesus' flesh, and it's not really blood, right? It's a symbol of what he did on that cross that allows us to step into that place. Before this, we couldn't come to this place of worship. We couldn't be in the glory of God. We couldn't see those things. But now, because of this, what we're about to do in a minute, allows us to come into that place. Jesus is already here operating in this room. So I wanted to worship after because I I, I believe that sometimes we don't recognize that. We come in sick and we'll go, man, I hope there's someone there this morning that has more faith than I that can pray for me. But Jesus said, I'm here. 
I'm already here. Put yourself in the shoes of the, of the invalid man that the scripture talks about. Jesus, I want to be healed, but the stuff's not right. And Jesus says, I'm already here. Either we believe this or we don't. Either we believe all the scripture and what Jesus says, and he says, where two or more of you are gathered, then I'm there in your midst. I struggled with that. When Kevin was preaching, he said he could see Jesus while he was preaching. Instantly, I start going, oh, is this guy for real? But then he goes and he uses that verse. He says, where two or more are gathered, he's in our midst. So we say he's here, but then we go on and we act as if he's not. So we say he's gathered, but then we leave this place unchanged. I don't want that. There's so many of us that if we were in that place with Moses, we would leave changed. If we were on that mountain, we saw Jesus, we saw the Father, we saw the glory of God, we would come down from that mountain changed. And Jesus right here in John says, I'm already in your midst. So we're going we're gonna to take communion and then Sean and Coco are just going to lead us into worship. And I just want you to worship however you, you see fit, whatever it is, whether you've got to come to the front and kneel or you, you need to stay where you are, it doesn't matter. It, it, it's okay. But please, you don't have to do anything other than just glorify his name. He's already here. It doesn't need to look like something. So why don't you stand and just come in an orderly fashion and just get some communion. And just hold it so that I can somewhat lead us in a, in a direction with this.
When Jesus sat at that table and he and he gave these elements and he said, Eat of who I am. He said something. He said something that we have to understand. He said, eat this, do this in remembrance of me. That understanding to remember somebody in a Jewish culture was to act on their behalf. This was the end of a covenant that he cut with with God that he allows us into that says, act on my behalf. I've given you all that I am to fight on your side. That's what the covenant represented. And this was a meal to represent who he was. We get to enter in, to eat of his flesh, to drink of his blood. A picture that allows us to finish that covenant that steps us inside of him. So as we take of this, we remember who we are in him. We remember who he is and who the scriptures say that he is. Yahweh, King of kings and Lord of lords, is who we take this in remembrance of. Who we take this to say, God, we will be your image bearers. We will do as you've asked us to do. This represents the tearing of that sheet that stopped us from being in his glory. This allows us to go in from glory to glory to glory. So Jesus, we remember you now. We act on your behalf, oh God. God, we thank you for everything you did on that cross. I thank you that you rose again, God. That you were seated on high. And that your plan to bring this all to you is still in play, oh Father. Jesus, I thank you that we can stand before you in your throne room, God, and worship you. That no longer do we have to sacrifice. No longer do we have to go into that sacred place and do all those rituals, God. That Jesus, you died for us. That we can step in now regardless of who we are. So we take of the bread, Lord, as your body. And we drink, Jesus, your blood, the glorious blood, the powerful blood. Jesus, we declare this blood over everyone here this morning, God. I declare the power of your blood right now over our lives. That where your blood reigns, no demon, no devil can stay. No no attack of the enemy can remain in a washing of your glorious, beautiful blood, Lord that this represents everything that you did for us. And we plead your blood right now over our lives. Whatever it is, just say right now, whatever it is, God, I plead your blood, Jesus. The blood of Jesus. And then you can drink. Have your way, Lord. Have your way, Lord.